Hi, listeners. Before we dig into today's fantastic conversation, can I just take a moment to say at the top of episode four of season eight that it is so good to be back with you. This, and of course by this I mean I'd rather be reading, will forever be my passion project. And it's such a delight, honestly, to share these conversations with you. Today on the show, we have the pleasure of having Farnoosh Tarabi on the program. Her latest book, A Healthy State of Panic, Follow Your Fears to Build Wealth, Crush Your Career, and Win at Life is out today, October 3rd. You are so going to enjoy getting to know her. I've been listening to her hit podcast, So Money, for years and years. I think it debuted in 2015, if I'm not mistaken. She is one of the most well-known personal finance experts. And in addition to So Money, she is the host of the CNBC primetime series, Follow the Leader. She is a financial columnist for O, the Oprah magazine, and has written three books heretofore. A Healthy State of Panic is her fourth. Her work in personal finance advice has been featured everywhere from the New York Times to the Wall Street Journal, Fortune, Forbes, Time, Glamour, Redbook, USA Today, and yes, Marie Claire. That's where I'm an editor. She is also all over your TV screen, having appeared on the Today Show, Good Morning America, The View, Live with Kelly and Michael, back when it was Kelly and Michael, CNN, and MSNBC. She is a graduate of both Penn State and Columbia and is a genuine, authentic, fantastic person. Before we dive in, and this is going to be very random, so forgive me, I want to give a quick shout out to my Airbnb host, Helen, in New Orleans, so follow me here, okay? So I needed to check out of my Airbnb right around the time that Farnoosh and I had this interview scheduled. By the way, casual flex, I was in New Orleans at the Airbnb because I was there for Beyonce's Renaissance World Tour, which was incredible. Anyway, we ended up having to push this interview back about 30 minutes, and Helen, my Airbnb host, was so gracious and let me stay over an hour past my checkout time to make this interview happen. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Helen. You are the best. And listeners, if you ever find yourself in New Orleans and meeting an Airbnb, which I hope you do because New Orleans is a great city, book Helen's Airbnb. And if you want the address and a link to the listing, shoot me an email at hello. I'd rather be reading at gmail.com and I'll hook you up. Thank you again, Helen. And with that, let's get into the conversation. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to have this conversation. We just had the best chat offline and I agree this conversation was meant to be. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you, Rachel. I'm such a fan. Thank you. Well, I've been an avid listener of your podcast. As I just told you, your podcast is called So Money for years. I mean, easily five years, probably longer. I followed your work everywhere. I've read your other books to I watch you on CNBC, so much other work you've done in the personal finance space. So when I opened A Healthy State of Panic, I assumed, right, that I would be reading a book about personal finance, but was pleasantly surprised to find that, yes, while money is certainly a part of the book, it's a, the book is really about facing your fears head mm-hmm. on, not just surrounding money, but I want to list the nine fears that you cover. So fear of rejection, loneliness, missing out, exposure, uncertainty, money, failure, endings, and losing your freedom. So again, just such a wide swath. And I want to start here. Why choose to write about fear for this latest book? I think this is your fourth book, right? So why, yes. why, why write about fear? Yeah. So fear and I go way, way back. <laughs> Me too, um, my friend. Me too. <laughs> 
Before I was interested in money, I was interested in exploring my fears and just for some background, and this is heavily, um, heavily included in the book. Uh, this book actually began as a memoir, mm. uh, but it was really um, my relationship with fear going back to being a young girl, the daughter of immigrants from Iran mm -hmm. growing up in the 1980s, which in and of itself was a terrifying era. Yeah. And living in Worcester, Massachusetts. My mother was 19 when she had me, new to this country, didn't speak English, new to motherhood, new to uh, marriage and all of it. And I think she was terrified and that became something that I inherited. I inherited a lot of her fearful approaches to life. And so I was this sort of poster girl for fear as a kid. And it would lead me to do really now looking back kind of comical things. But in those young years, it was like, I was, I had a lot of anxiety and I don't yeah. recommend this as a parenting technique. Um, but <laughs> it was who I became was not inconsequential to that little girl's relationship with fear. And as a young woman trying to navigate in New York City, the media world and my place in it, that also came with a healthy amount of fear. And then of course I work in personal finance and I deal with uh, people's concerns about money and the underpinning, the emotional underpinning of so many of our financial questions is fear. Mm -hmm. And so for this book, which is now nine years after I wrote my last book, so I had a lot of time to think about mm -hmm. what is my new addition that I want to bring to this world of personal finance, which has really evolved. And there's already so much that's being said. What is my way of kind of presenting something that's a little bit more interesting, new, different, fresh. And it was like, I think I want to work with this idea of fear and how it can actually be a tool, believe mm -hmm. it or not, because what we have often been told through our culture, through our generations is that fear is an enemy. Fear is not a good feeling. And if you feel it, the right reaction is to fight it or ignore it or um, do whatever you can to get as distant from it as possible. But for me, at least, that has only led to irrational impulse moves that backfire. Mm. It is only when I've been able to recognize the fear, possibly appreciate why it's shown up. And we can talk a little bit more about why fear is good. And you're going to, don't you? Yeah, worry. we will. And and how it can be an informant and a friend in my life as I am making really big and confusing decisions with a lot of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. um, I think fear has been branded as this negative emotion. And I want to sort mm -hmm. of give fear a new face and maybe give ourselves the opportunity to finally um, embrace fear, lean into fear. After all, it's an abundant resource. Uh, mm. This is something we all have access to. So uh, this hopefully will, maybe it sounds a little crazy, but I also think it could be very easy. Well, I want to mention here that two women you mentioned in the book, Dr. Ellen Vora and Katie Storino, I've had both of them on this show. Oh. They are fantastic, just like you. So when Dr. Vora came on, our mm -hmm. conversation was so impactful to me because I too have anxiety. Um, I've had it most of my life in varying degrees. And Dr. Vora made me feel for the first time that my anxiety was not a burden, but it was a gift actually. Yeah. And that's how you made me feel in this book about fear. And I want to quote you for a minute. You write in the book, when fear arrives, it's exciting. Like what a beautiful 
reframe of fear. That's really powerful. And again, your book made me feel the way Dr. Vora's book made me feel about anxiety. You even write at one point in the book that fear is a gift and that it is our trusted partner in crime, our flex, our superpower. So listeners, you've got to read the book for the, for the deep dive, but how so? Cause I, you're right. Fear has a, an extremely negative connotation. So does anxiety. So how is fear actually a good thing? Well, when we are at crossroads in our lives and I'm talking high stakes moments where we're thinking about things to do with our money, things to do within our relationships, jobs we're going to take or not take businesses, we might start or not start pivots in our personal and professional lives. Fear often shows up in these contexts. And I think that's where fear can really be helpful to us. This book is not about phobias, like fear of getting on an airplane or fear no, of heights no. or fear no. of spiders, although that's another podcast. I think what I really wanted to, what I was interested in, in, in looking at and examining were these bigger juggernaut fears that with a little bit of emotional intelligence and a bit, little bit of um, patience with these fears at these really really big moments in our lives, how can we actually work with fear to, to, to make better decisions? And the reason I love fear in these moments is because when fear appears and shows up and we know fear, you know, we, we, fear has a very distinct feeling in our mm. bodies. You know, it's like, for me, I even say like, there's a smell or there's, um, there's a feeling and there's a, there's, it's a visceral, it's a visceral feeling. Mm. And it is oftentimes your body telling you, uh, imploring for, Hey, what's up with you? What is it that you're afraid of? What it, because clearly there is something here at stake that you want to protect, that you want to secure mm -hmm. and that it's personal to you. What are, these are great things to be reflecting on. And fear is a prompt to have these deeper reflections, to have these deeper conversations with ourselves about, well, if I'm afraid, what is the reason for that? And could there actually be something here that is so important to me that I want to protect that I need to be a little bit more vigilant, a little bit more educated, a little bit more patient? That's what fear, the, the healthy way to use fear is to see this as an opportunity when fear shows up to kind of check in with yourself mm -hmm. and have these, these, these internal dialogues, which ultimately give us the, sometimes again, the information, the strength, the confidence, the context to go do that thing anyway, that initially is scary, but in a more self-aligned way, in a more, uh, in a way that really sort of taps our, um, who we are really. And, you know, I always say that fear is universal, but it's also extremely personal yeah. and, and that's special. I think whenever there's an emotion you experience that is telling you a story about who you are, we should pay attention to that. Yeah. I, I could not agree with you more. And I was so, I was laughing to myself as I was reading the book, because I was like, how was she able to narrow the fears covered in the book down to nine. Like I probably yeah, there's have a 9, lot. <laughs> 900 of them. So I, I am actually curious about that. How did you whittle down so many fears into such a concise list? Well, first, I think I, it's important to recognize that when we often talk about fear, we say, we just say fear. It's a four letter word that starts with F and we haven't ever really distilled fear to say, oh, actually though, it's the fear of X, Y, or Z. 
um, these emotional fears I focused on were very intentional. One, because I've experienced all of them. I've experienced the fear of loneliness and rejection. And if I'm going to just, you know, follow what my 11th grade English teacher told me, she said, just write what you know, you know, when you don't know what to write, write what you know, that's always a good place to start. So I know the fear of loneliness and FOMO and the fear of money and the fear of exposure and all the fears that you mentioned in your, in your intro. Um, I also think that these fears are universal. I think everybody has had a brush or uh, a real entanglement with these fears. And because I am also somebody who works professionally in personal finance, these fears I felt were very much in the ecosystem of the fear of money. Because when I talk about in the book, like our fears don't show up singularly. Like a lot of times there's multiple fears at play. And when there is a fear of money, there's usually also a fear of uncertainty or the fear of loneliness or the fear of rejection, FOMO for sure. So as I wrote the book, I wanted to create a structure that was a nod also to my expertise of money. The fear of money is central to the book. It's sort of the spine of the book, but Mm -hmm. the fears that come before and after it were also placed very appropriately because I think... um, I wanted to talk about fear in almost like a chronological way where fear of loneliness and rejection sort of start the book because we, we experience these fears typically as kids. That's where we get our first um, our first introduction to these fears. And then as we get older and life becomes more complex and there are higher stakes, that's when things like the fear of failure and rejection and uh, money and endings, which is another chapter, which endings, covers- that's powerful. Yeah. I mean, we think yeah. a lot about failure and rejection, but f- the, I had a big ending this summer in my, in my life. I wasn't ready for it. And, um, it, it yeah, I have, I, I don't think I've ever put words to it, but yeah, I, I do fear endings and reading your words really helped me kind of begin to work through that in my mind. So it's pretty powerful. Thank you. That was a really, I think that was my most emotionally difficult chapter because mm. it is gutting. It yeah. is that is the chapter where I talk a lot about grief and and all kinds of grief, you know, my own miscarriages, um the endings of really uh, you know, projects that I felt were like the pinnacle of my career that ended abruptly. Um and uh, for others that I wove their stories, you know, the fears of losing a parent. And for me, I once, um, well, I've haven't gone through a death, a close death in my family, but I have seen the death of a friendship, you know, like when sure. a friendship ends and I tried to bring in as much diversity to portray these fears. So it's very easy to kind of fall back on just what I know, which is a lot of like money scenarios and career scenarios, but I also wanted to make this book about life mm-hmm. and about the diversity of the experiences life brings us and gifts us and mm-hmm. the ways that fear can be, uh, again, a tool, a friend, uh, an informant as we are marching through life, making these really um, important decisions that deserve reflection, that deserve some pause. And ultimately, you know, we don't know what's going to be on the other side of a decision that life has a way of surprising us constantly. Absolutely. But I think, you know, in, in my life, in the times when I've walked through uncertainty, the fear has helped me at least walk through that uncertainty, holding on to 
the things that are certain and doing what I can do to even in that uncertainty, feel like I'm still, I have two feet on the ground firm. Mm -hmm. And on the other side of that, if it doesn't work out the way I thought, I don't think I will be regretful because I will have recognized that I sort of did the best I could. And what does that even mean? It means that I did the thing in my way. I did it with considering my values, what makes me feel safe, what makes me feel secure and confident. And a lot of that can be born out of uh, a conversation with your fears. Absolutely. And you know what? I want to dig into the full title of the book. The full title of the book, subtitle included, is A Healthy State of Panic, Follow Your Fears to Build Wealth, Crush Your Career, and Win at Life. So I want to know, what is a healthy underscore mm-hmm. healthy state of panic versus an unhealthy one. Where mm. do we draw the line? Where do we go from, okay, fear is good. It's motivating me. It's my flex. It's my superpower. It's propelling me to, okay, I might have, I might be overdoing this fear thing here. Where's, yeah. where do we get out of the healthy state of panic and into the unhealthy state of panic? I think most of us are practicing the unhealthy right now right. where where fear shows up and we have been so programmed to dislike fear that the instinct is 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 such that we um overreact or we we try to eject ourselves from this state this emotional state and in that in that um impulsive moment well naturally we're going to end up doing things that we might regret that things that backfire we become someone we don't Uh, recognize. I mean, I, I have definitely been that person who has not had the most um, constructive relationship with fear. And because I thought that I was actually, and in the moment I thought I was doing it all right. Right. Because I'm being fearless. Mm -hmm. I, because I think that fearlessness, or I've been taught that fearlessness is bravery. Fearlessness is courage. Well, I want to offer something different to everybody, which is that how about you can be fearful and brave? Mm -hmm. You can be fearful and courageous. That these are not mutually exclusive characteristics. Mm -hmm. I think that we all want to be happy. And I I think I'm happy most days. I feel very fulfilled. I feel very good about the choices that I've made. And even when things don't work out, I have an ability to kind of see the why behind that thing not working out and and taking from that what I can to the next thing. But I um, know that for someone to actually be happy, they need to be comfortable in their skin. And that means being comfortable with all of the emotions that surface including fear, but also grief and sadness and anger, as well as joy and optimism and excitement. I think all of these emotions deserve space in our lives. We are at a cultural reckoning right now, where I think so many of us are tired of being told, just be happy, just smile more. Um, That fear is a weakness. And, you know, when this gets drilled into you enough, naturally we get to a place where we're complete. We don't even know how to, how to have any patience for fear. And I don't know about you, but impatience usually doesn't lead to the best decisions, the best choices. So you're speaking my language right now. I struggle with patience so much. Yes. Yeah. So the work, the real work in having a healthier relationship with fear is to practice a little bit of patience, Mm -hmm. but And I shouldn't say, but, and so you practice patience and you take on a curious mind. You 
recognize that when fear shows up, hey, maybe this is an, an opportunity. Fear usually shows up for a reason. It has shown up for a reason. It's a biological response. It's physiological. It is uh, an it is a um, an adrenaline that usually like back in the day would show up when we had real, you know, life-threatening things happening yeah. to us, yeah. like wolf mammoths chasing us across a plane. But now as the world's evolved and our lives are, have evolved, so has fear. And so fear has learned in our bodies to show up in more nuanced ways, in, in ways that deal with interpersonal relationships and um, at the workplace and in our financial lives. And it's our job to really like stay in control when that fear arrives and say, hey, fear, I see you're here. Okay. What do you want me to protect? Where did you come from? These are really important questions. And the book actually gives everybody a cheat sheet at the end of every chapter. Yes. I love, I like that a lot. (laughs) These go-to questions, the self-inquiries when you have say fear of loneliness or fear of rejection or FOMO, here's, you know, the five, six, seven questions that for me, and I think for all of us can be extremely helpful in gaining more clarity around this fear. And ultimately I'm not saying that you should always listen to the fear and do what fear wants you to do, but that even just taking that beat to acknowledge the fear, which is really acknowledging your emotions, validating your emotions, understanding the roots, and from there, gathering that information to make your own conclusion. But we never do this. We never give ourselves the grace, the patience, and the validation of our emotions. Um, I, I think we're, we deserve more than that. We deserve better. I agree. And, you know, I'm so happy to read a book about fear from you, because as you said, you weave your story into every page. And I want to quote you a couple of times before I, before I have to ask you the inevitable personal finance question, because you are, you are, but here's a couple quotes from the book that I love. So you write, this book is about what it's like to turn and stare fear in the face, then ask it some questions. And most of all, trust it's here to help. When you do this, something miraculous happens. Your world opens up. And you also write in the book that fear has made me who I am today. So I would think that, and it, re, listeners, you have to read this book because you're, I, if you're a fan of you, then you're going to learn so much more about you. I feel like, we, I mean, I already have felt like we are friends because I've been listening to you in my ear for so long on your podcast, but I just feel like I know you so well, and you are so vulnerable in this book. And at one point in the book, you say that readers might ask, but wait, aren't you, aren't you the bunny lady or said, <laughs> or said differently? Why are you writing about fear? But I found, and I know you have as well, cause you say so in the book that fear and money are very inextricably connected. Many mm-hmm. don't have wealth and personal finance success because of deep fears. And you write in the book, in short, we lose out on life's greatest wins before ever setting foot on the field. I mean, I know that's true for my life, unfortunately, but so many people are scared of money and wealth that they quit before they even start. So why is money so scary to people? And I would say, I would add a caveat to that and say, especially women. Well, here's what I think about that. And I have a lot of thoughts, but just to distill it and keeping to this topic of fear, I think that what holds a lot of us back sometimes is this, um, 
is the fear of money. And for women in particular, it's not like I can really blame us because what fear, fear loves to hang out where, when there is a lack of education and also a lack of, um, of confidence and Mm -hmm. women, I'm not saying that women don't have the capability or the ability to get educated and be confident around money, but we haven't been invited to these conversations until recently. And still it's a struggle. Um, The financial world is male dominated. That's no secret. And while I have seen such an evolution over the last 20 years of being in this space of so many different voices coming to the forefront and inviting people to have really important conversations around investing and entrepreneurship and budgeting and debt payoff, that is still, there is still a very underserved market, which is women and women of color and anyone of, of, a of a background where they didn't see themselves represented in the traditional male patriarchal financial model. And so all of this is not inconsequential, you know, all of this impacts why today there are still women who believe that money is a man's domain. Mm -hmm. Investing is too complicated or too risky to the point where I can't get, I can't do it myself or I shouldn't do it at all. And that even if I, I'm good at making, I hear this a lot, I'm really good at making money, but my husband uh, or my father will just manage it all and because they're better at it. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's really a shortcutting of yourself and your abilities, but it's also because we've been, we've been believing these lies and we've been fed a lot of these myths around money. And so it's kind of inevitable that we get to this point where we're, we are behind and we feel behind and we'll continue to be behind because we're not reconciling with where did these myths actually come from? They have nothing to actually say about us, but more about the world that we live in and what the world kind of wants for women, which unfortunately is not what I want for women all the time, mm. right? I think yeah. that that is a real threat that there are there are real forces at play that would prefer to keep things status quo. And it's, a, it's um, I see it all the time. And it's, so that's a very, that's my kind of Ted talk on this. Mm. And I think the way to kind of break through that is if you are someone listening who feels any of the things we just talked about, like I'm, a, I'm afraid of investing or I'll never understand how to get rich or I don't know even if I should be quote unquote rich because I feel like that's not who I am or who I was raised to be. I think this deserves a lot of microscopic reflection. And mm-hmm. in, in the book, in the fear of money, chapter six, which is central to the book, I talk about how we all grow up with these fraught relationships with money and that it elicits a lot of fear. So the first thing, the first healthy thing to do is to trace, where did I learn this fear? Where did I learn this lie? You might discover a lot about your upbringing, your influences, that ability to zoom out a little bit and kind of look from the outside in is so healthy because it just, it just reveals so much about how you got to where you are. And more importantly, how maybe this is not contributing or supporting where you want to go next. Mm-hmm. So now as an adult woman with uh, power and empowerment and agency, like you you have the ability to, to course correct and to rewrite this narrative, to turn this fear, which is actually a fallacy into a fact. Mm. And I 
have gone through this on this exercise myself. I for was, you know, I was at one point not sure about wanting to make more than I was. And I was very comfortable financially. And so I thought I've made quote unquote enough. But that underlying emotion really wasn't like a good one. It was, it was that I felt like if I strived to make more, that it would I would be seen as someone who had her values mixed up and that I was worried that that the pursuit of wanting to make more money was going to cost me my time and my relationships. I just didn't trust that I could be a woman who could make more and be happy. I don't know a lot of men who have that same calculus going through right. their heads. Right. This is, I think, very particular to women and especially women like me who were raised without seeing a lot of modeling around this. My mother, you know, worked here and there, but my dad primarily managed and made the money. And um, even on television and in the movies and in the media, like we don't see a lot of powerful women who are liked. Mm. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we're quick to judge. We're quick to characterize these women as vicious and greedy. And I, you know, and the intelligence side of my brain is saying, Farnoosh, that's all BS and you know better. And of course I do know better, but the emotional side of my brain is very, very powerful too. And it was what was kind of overshadowing the logic. And I was playing small as a result of these fears. And it wasn't until I just kind of faced them and, and understood like that I didn't just kind of grow up with this immediately in my mind that Mm -hmm. I was trained to become this person with this mindset and what a shame and no more. I'm not doing this. Like it stops now. And I also, I'm a mom now. Do I want to, what do I want to be for my kids? Do I want to perpetuate these financial fears, these financial myths and have my daughter become that person that I was at one point struggling with the idea of becoming a rich woman. No, I want her to believe that being rich is your birthright. And that I, know, was I love new- you said that in the book. I love that. Yeah. It's your birthright. It is your absolute birthright. Why not? Mm-hmm. Why, why do, why should we say some people are only allowed to be wealthy and others are not? Yes. Does it make yes. any sense to me? Yeah. It's these, these little reframes and these little like perspectives that can be extremely life-changing. And it was for me, I decided right then I was like money, making money is my birthright. And furthermore, I know that I'm still afraid of my time and my relationships being stretched in the pursuit of making more money. Cause money doesn't just fall off trees. We know like we have to go out there and make mm-hmm. it. And I was worried that I was going to overextend myself. And, um, my promise to myself and my work really from there on out was how can I still go out there and make more money, but honoring these fears, how can I honor my time? How can I honor um, my relationships? And the way I did it was first sounds crazy, but I just raised my prices. Yes. I love that. Try that. that. (laughs) It takes no time. It takes no, no time away from your family. No, no time at all. It's just a decision and you just start practicing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think as women, we can all probably do better in the earnings department. We all, all of us. Yes. As my my yeah. friend, Alexandra Carter, who wrote the book, ask for more, a great, great book. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. a negotiations expert. She says, if you're not afraid when you're asking for more money, you're probably not doing it right. Or you're not asking for enough. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Precisely. If you're not afraid when you're negotiating and asking for more, if you're, if you're completely 
um, calm and fearless because you're confident that whatever you're going to ask for, you're going to get. I'm sorry to say that you're playing small. Yes. Because you're, exactly you're coming right. from, a, right. You're coming, you're asking from a place of complete certainty. Whereas that's, then you're not negotiating. You're just, you know, you're just making it easy for the other person to say yes. And you want to make it so the other person stops and thinks and right. might, you know, it might spark a, a negotiation, right? And and you might meet in the middle, but you're definitely getting more than what you made last time. Well, and you and that's a perfect proof to your point that you should be a little scared because that mm-hmm. means you're doing it right. And and that's a great example of you shouldn't be afraid of fear because we should push ourselves. I'm I'm sitting here. You're you're making my mind just spin over here because. I think fear gets in the way of all of us living the life we were meant to and living the big life and and going for the big things because we don't think we're worthy or we don't think we're enough or, you know, we think that we have imposter syndrome, which you mentioned in the book a little bit. And so fear really is such a dream killer because we talk ourselves out of going for it before we mm-hmm. even step foot in the arena. And I've been thinking so much lately about my younger self. And you mention your younger self in the book, like what you would say to her. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask you this now that you've literally written the book on fear, what would you tell your younger self about fear? For example, what would you say you went to undergrad at Penn state? What would you say to yourself as a student at Penn state about the power of fear? Because I think so many people, not just women, but especially women get so caught up in being afraid of uh, failure or whatever rejection insert one of your nine fears here that we don't even try and and therefore we end up living sometimes a junior varsity life or a b team mm-hmm. life to what we could have and so what would you tell your yourself coming out of penn state coming out of undergrad about fear well i would say that first of all when you feel fear it doesn't mean you're less than Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you're weak. I think I was often made fun of growing up for my fearfulness. And it's funny. It's like, y'all raised me to be this way. Did you think I was going to be this like brazen little girl? No, I was like a very um, sort of timid and I did brave things. Like I did put myself out there a lot, which may not seem characteristic of somebody who has fear, but I think that what I was doing at the time, maybe not even knowing, but now in reflection, I realized what I was doing and I included in the book is that I was constantly in conversation with fear. And, and when I was afraid of doing something, I would always like compare it to another fear. I would say, okay, well, I'm afraid of, you know, trying out for the high school musical, uh, because I'm afraid of rejection and I'm afraid of, um, you know, my fears becoming real, which is like failure and like being maybe laughed out of the audition room. But I would, I would, I remember thinking like, but what if I don't do it? Mm -hmm. Isn't that scary too? Because then I won't have anything to, I won't have the opportunity to maybe be a part of something really cool. And uh, I would always sort of weigh these fears I think that's um, something we, I talk about this in the book, like we never do that. You know, we always like fixate on one fear, but there's usually another fear that you're not considering, which is what if I don't do the thing because fear keeps me stuck. Mm -hmm. And that, that reflection is often what helps you to 
go and do the thing and, but maybe still do it in a way that feels safe. So, you know, back to the audition example, like I was afraid, but I was more afraid of not doing it because then it would mean like not having an after school activity potentially, or not ever realizing my potential. And I, did it, but I like really studied and I really showed up prepared. And I was also in my mind, I had to kind of imagine what it would be like and feel like if I didn't get the role and how I would emotionally protect myself in that moment. And so, gosh, you know, that was a small example, but ended up getting the part. Uh, but that, that's not why I told the story. I think that the, the point of that story is that even if you get the part or you don't get the part and there's many parts in life, they're not just on a stage that yes. just going through that intimate sort of exercise with yourself where you're reflecting on the fear, you're thinking about the consequence of not doing the thing because of fear and how maybe scary that could be. Mm-hmm. And then going, okay, what do I do now with this information, with this, with all of these, um, with all this visual visualization that I've now done that fear has helped me see. And, and then you decide and, and, and everyone can decide for themselves at that point. But I think whatever you decide will feel good because you did it in a way that incorporated more of yourself. Mm-hmm. I think if I had to add a 10th fear to the list, at least at this stage in my life, it would be a fear of regret. I think I'm at, I'm at the point where I would rather fail or be rejected than not try. And that's, and that's, that's a powerful place to be in. I think there's a whole book on this and I, I source it in my book and Mm -hmm. it's in the fear of endings because I think endings are so hard because of this fear of regret. So, uh, yeah, I think, um, there's a wonderful book, Daniel Pink wrote, it's called the power. Yeah. Yeah, So you will love the power of regret. Yeah. I think I've read that. I've, I've read drive. That's Daniel Pink. I think I'm just thinking off the top yes. of my head, but I mean, I, he's fantastic. I, he would be a dream guest just like you on the show, but yeah, I just really don't, I'm an, I I've gotten over myself. I've just turned 37 this week. I've gotten over myself and really have just learned, you know what you're going to, you're going to be so thankful that you at least put your hat in the ring and tried. And, and very often I get told no, but I tried and I can live with that. I can live, I can live with myself at the end of the day because I tried. And I, and as you say in the book, I love the way you phrase this. Like I'm trying to look fear in the eye and face it and not turn my back to it or run from it. I'm trying to stare it head on and say, you're not going to own me anymore. You're not, you don't run my life anymore. I do. And so anyway, I could, I literally could talk to you all day. This is so you're making me feel seen and heard is what it is. And, um, and I think all readers will feel that way, but I want to be respectful of your time and ask you my last question. I've loved this time together, by the way, when readers of a healthy state of panic, close the book, just like I did. And I've had a little bit of time to reflect and I will reflect more, uh, in the coming days, but what do you hope they will say as they close the book and go on into not their fearless life, because we embrace fear now, but into looking fear in the eye, facing it and realizing that it doesn't have power over you anymore. Wow. Well, I think I've, I've already received some really generous reviews from, from readers on Goodreads. And what I'm hearing echoed is exactly what I hoped they would, would be shared is, is such, it's just this, that the book is really making them feel so much more validated in, Mm -hmm. in having fear and experiencing fear and not only 
feeling validated, but feeling like they now know what to do with the fear. Exactly. Um, and that's, I give hats to my editor uh, at Simon & Schuster because she was really the one who pushed me to make this book much to my chagrin in the beginning. Cause like I said, I just wanted to write a memoir. I just want to get my stories out there. And she was like, but I think your readers would really benefit. And you're the right person to do this because you're an expert and you give advice all the time is to give them steps, mm -hmm. give them action. Um, so that it's not just like, oh, wow, I feel better at the end of the day, but I feel better. And I know how to sustain this feeling because I have the tools and I have the uh, frameworks to now use fear constructively all the time mm -hmm. in all these hard moments in my life. And that it's just this book that continues to help you along the way. It's not just a one and done that you're going to refer back to it and, you know, find yourself again in it and, and want to share it also with friends. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, as we close, I want to quote, actually, I want to quote your mother first Aww. and then you. So I love this line from the book, but as my mother likes to point out, it all worked out, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and she's right. It usually does, you know, and that's why we just need to do it, go for it, be it because it just does end up working out even, and I have had a rough summer, but it's working itself out beyond me and beyond my power. And now I want to quote you this, this line actually made me choke up when I read it. And you kind of alluded to it earlier in the conversation, but this is from the book. And perhaps you are extraordinary because you are afraid you can be both together all at once. Ugh, that's really, yeah. really powerful listeners. The book is called a healthy state of panic, follow your fears to build wealth, crush your career and win at life. It is out October 3rd. It is a must read. Thank you so much for this book, for coming on the show today. This is a powerful book. I really feel that it will touch lives and change lives. So thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story. It is very much a memoir, but it's more than that because it's not only your story, you're helping us write a better story for our, ourselves going forward. So thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you. And thank you to everyone for joining and listening. And, um, from your words to, was it from your lips to God's ears? Your lips That's to God's ears. Yep. <laughs> That's it. Thank you so yeah, much. It was, you. it's just great. I am ready to look fear in the eye and face it. And I hope you are too. It's not about being fearless. I love this reframe. It's about embracing our fears and letting them drive us to be the best version of ourselves. Absolutely love this concept. Again, the book is called A Healthy State of Panic. Follow your fears to build wealth, crush your career and win at life. And it is out right now. Listeners, stay tuned for more of season eight. And I hope you're enjoying the show's return as much as I am.